You're listening to Gift Biz Unwrapped, episode 217. Do you think you're good at what you do? And can you tell people you're good at what you do? Excellent. This, my friends, is marketing. Attention, gifters, bakers, crafters, and makers. Pursuing your dream can be fun. Whether you have an established business or are looking to start one now, you are in the right place. This is Gift Biz Unwrapped, helping you turn your skill into a flourishing business. Join us for an episode packed full of invaluable guidance, resources, and the support you need to grow your gift biz. Here is your host, gift biz gal, Sue Monheit. Hi there, it's Sue, and I'm so happy that you're joining me here today. Before we get started, I want to make sure you're familiar with my free Facebook group called Gift Biz Breeze. It's a place where we all gather and are a community to support each other got a really fun post in there that's my favorite of the week, I have to say, where I invite all of you to share what you're doing, to show pictures of your product, to show what you're working on for the week, to get reaction from other people, and just for fun, because we all get to see the wonderful products that everybody in the community is making. My favorite post every single week, without doubt. Wait, what? Aren't you part of the group already? If not, make sure to jump over to Facebook and search for the group Gift Biz Breeze. Don't delay. Come join us in Gift Biz Breeze today. Moving on. Boy, do I have a special guest for you. She's a role model for all women who have the dream of turning their creative passion into a business. She shares the steps that got her where she is today, including lots of tips and wisdom that she's picked up along the way. I know, I'm being a little bit mysterious. Maybe it's the mood I'm in today or something, I'm not sure. But now it's time for the big reveal. Let's get into the show. Today, I am so excited to introduce you to Jennifer Allwood, if you don't know her already. Jennifer is a wife, mother, and dynamic business coach and the host of the Jennifer Allwood Show podcast. She has an infectious enthusiasm for helping like-minded, creative women build their social media followers and turn their talents and hobbies into a lucrative online business. Jennifer has built an incredible social media community with an online following of, are you ready for this, you guys? Half a million people. She has a gift for creating relationships and showing up for each and every one of them. She coaches over 2,000 women monthly on how to find their tribe and grow their business online. And it is our good fortune to have her sharing everything here with us today. Jennifer, welcome to the Gift Biz Unwrapped podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Sue. I'm super excited to be here. Thank you. I love and feel really good about how we're going to start out, Jennifer, because most of the time this question throws people. But with you since you're a creative, I know it's going to be all good. So I talk about a motivational candle, and it gives our listeners a little bit of a feel for you in a different way. So if you were to create a motivational candle that speaks you, what color and what quote would be on your candle? Well, the color is super easy. I 
am a person that loves like, I love color. You know, while the whole wide world is kind of decorating in farmhouse and whites and grays right now, my house is like obnoxious fuchsias and blues. And I love color and I thrive in that colorful environment. So we have a lot of big colors in my home. And for some reason, I keep gravitating towards this cobalt blue. And we jokingly have named it our Allwood Family Power Color, meaning I have clothes in the in the cobalt blue. My kids have clothes in the cobalt blue. I don't know why, but that's just the color that's resonating with me at the moment. And I'm decorating a ton with. Perfect. And what type of a quote or a saying or a mantra or something is important to you? And do you run your business with? Sure. So I was thinking about this soon. I was thinking, gosh, okay, would this be something that I, you know, a quote from somebody else or something that I always say, or there's so many good quotes I can think of. But one of the things that I am on a pretty consistent basis saying to the women in my community is the following. And this quote, I don't think encompasses, it's just the one that I'm on right now. And that is that your fear does not release you from your calling. And the reason that this particular saying that, I mean, I don't believe I heard that anywhere. I'm pretty sure I made that up. The reason that this one is resonating so loudly with me and with my audience is that I have an audience much like you do of creative people, of business owners who are makers and creatives and DIYers and bakers and jewelry people. And the women that I get the opportunity to coach and lead, they're a fantastic group of women, but the majority of them struggle with fear in their business. And it's either fear to be online or fear of what people are going to think of them, or they're worried about the business piece of it because they just really want to make and they, they don't love the business part of it. Or they have fear over the fact that they're an introvert and I'm asking them to do Facebook Live. So there's lots of fear usually involved. And so what I'm always kind of talking to my tribe about is, listen, it's okay that you're scared, but you still have a thing to do even in spite of that fear. You know what I mean? Like you have a business to run, you have a family to feed, you have people watching you who need in the world what you're putting out there. So even though you're scared, that still doesn't release you from what you're supposed to be doing in your business. So that would be my final answer. Your fear does not release you from your calling. <laughs> your final answer. <laughs> my final answer, Sue, is that. Yes. <laughs> I love it. And I could not agree with you more. I mean, I don't know if it's because all of us are creators and makers. So there's even more to what we're putting out there than just ourselves, because it's our creative expression into some type of a physical product, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Because I think everybody struggles with fear, but we get it double time. And I don't know that everybody struggles with fear. Because when I think about like the plumber that just fixed the toilet at our house, I don't know that he's like, oh gosh, what do I put on social media today? How do I word this so I don't sound real salesy? Like it's his job and he shows up for his job. But creative people, because we put our heart and our soul into what we're making and what we're putting out into the world. And we're often feelers and exceptionally vulnerable to criticism and offense. And that's what makes us, by the way, so great at what we do. But on the flip side of that, it's what also often will hold us back on the business part because it makes us feel very vulnerable to put something that we just painted or just created or just made on social media with a chance that people are going to not love it. And so I do think it's different. Like, I don't think my accountant is ever like putting his hands together and, oh gosh, I hope people like what I'm about to do today. No, he just does his accounting and he doesn't think twice about it. Yeah. But for us creatives, it's so different. It's a very piece of our heart and soul. It feels bigger. It feels heavier. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess I would rephrase it to say people who are in business. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. But doubling up when it's also your creative expression in your art that is your business. 100% agree with you. Absolutely. Yeah. So and so you were talking about painting a minute ago. And let's go into that right now. I know you didn't start 
with what you're doing today. So let's go back a little bit and talk about what your first business was. Sure. So I used to do a nine to five job. My background was actually in computer-based information systems. That's what I got a degree in when I was 30. I went back to college as a grown up, as an adult. And I hated that job, Sue. And I felt guilty because I'm like, I have a pager. I get to wear pantyhose every day. I have a little lanyard that gets me into different rooms in the building. Like I should be really grateful and really loving this. But the truth was, is that I'm such a creative at heart that I really just wanted to be home, decorating my house, making my home pretty, et cetera. And so back in the year 2000, I decided to start this little side gig while I worked at my day job at the computer and I was doing decorative painting for people. So I don't know where you're from, Sue, but this was really popular here in the Midwest. So we were doing like faux finishing to make the walls look like texture. Did you have that where you're from? Yeah, I'm in Chicago. Okay. So you know what I'm talking about. So you remember when faux finishing came on hot and heavy and wallpaper was no more. And so I I was loving just nights and weekends, making people's walls pretty, painting furniture, doing some kids murals. And then that day job that I was doing and that I actually really disliked ended up laying me off. And so when I got laid off, I thought, gosh, I at this point feel like I would do about anything not to have to go back to another desk job. It's just so not who I am. And so I wonder if I could make this like painting thing into a full-time business. And I wasn't sure that that was possible, but I was also hungry. When you have that, just like that touch of desperateness where you're like, I'll do anything to make this business do well. So I don't have to go back to that other thing. Man, that is such a great advantage to have. And God can so work with that. And so I was hungry. I didn't want to go back to a daytime job. So I started my decorative painting company full-time. It quickly went to being very successful. And then I started having babies, Sue. So I had three babies in a row. And, you know, I remember when I was pregnant with our oldest son, Noah, I was like, okay, now how am I going to do this? Because we just did one of the biggest decorative painting projects in the Kansas City area. It was all over the news. There were reporters out at the house. It's all over the newspaper. Like my business was really taking off. And then I was getting ready to have a baby. So I was trying to figure out how can I keep this business afloat, but stay home with the little one. So it was then that I hired my sister-in-law to come paint for me. She didn't like the business part of anything. She just wanted to paint. So it was interesting how it came about very organically. I stayed home and took care of kids and did the marketing of the business and like developed relationships with different builders and decorative or designers who hired decorative painters. And I had a team of women go paint for me. And that was an exceptionally great deal. It was at one point I had eight women painting for me every day out in the field. We got to do three episodes of the Extreme Home Makeover with Ty Pennington for ABC. And that was really, really good. But about five years ago, things kind of shifted for me. And when I decided that my heart was no longer after 15, 16 years in the painting business as much as it once was. And so I think you're going to want to talk about that next. But yeah, that's how I got started in my decorative gig. So Jennifer, I have a quick question for you right here. As you started adding employees on, how did you work with them to make sure that the level of what they were doing was the quality that you were already known for? That's a great question, actually. And you know, like when I was bringing different contractors on, I feel like there has to be a little bit of this understanding that nobody's ever probably going to do it exactly like I would have done it or exactly like I would like for them to do. Does that make sense? So when it's yours and it's your business, there's always a different level of attention to detail. And especially if it's in a creative space that you're producing content. But I was always like, okay, I feel confident in my ability to teach people one step and then another step on top of that. And I felt comfortable with my sister-in-law's ability to train new girls also. 
And sometimes it's not like we were drawing canvases and, you know, doing artwork like that. It was more like troweling texture onto walls and staining grad stores to look like wood. And so I got over the fact of thinking, okay, it's got to be perfect because it really is kind of more of an artistic thing. And so being really good needed to be fine with me. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense because I think people get to a stumbling block where they're saying, well, I'm the creative. No one can do it the way I'm doing it. Right. And that's true. Yeah. And what I believe <laughs> you're saying is you have to be okay with that. You really do. Because the truth is like, so I'm super passionate and in love with making a house beautiful and making a space feel a certain way. And I love that. And I'll be doing that in my own home until the end of time, Sue. And I actually bought my first house when I was 21 years old, which is kind of unheard of for most 21 year olds. So I love houses. I love decorating. I love making them beautiful. However, that's not the piece of it that was super important to me because what I found, by the way, things kind of worked out with me staying home and raising kids and have other women working for me is that I really loved the business part of it. I loved marketing what my team was doing. I loved getting onto social media and telling people how they could do things in their house. I loved the community piece of it even more than the actual physical making somebody's house pretty. Does that make sense? It's exactly what I did. <laughs> so I can relate to it 100%. Absolutely. And so I love making everything pretty, but it, it became so it wasn't the thing that I continued to just have first and foremost in my mind. Mm -hmm. And I actually determined, gosh, I kind of like not only the making a house beautiful, but telling people how to make their houses beautiful. And that actually really turned out to be a great thing in terms of pivoting my business down the road. Perfect. And you segued into this wonderfully. We've got a great feel for what you were doing before. And now your business is coaching and helping creators develop and grow their businesses so that they're profitable and they're getting the attention that they need and all of that. Where I want to start with this is I am quite sure, Gift Biz listeners, your ears perked up when she was talking about the publicity that you got on TV and all of that. So let's use that story as the kickoff. And then let's talk about marketing your business overall. Sure. So it was interesting because when we got picked, Sue, to do three different episodes for Extreme Home Makeover, this is when I really like went, oh, okay, I get it now. So I hope all of your listeners will just like think to and off the whole rest of the podcast if they want. But this piece of it, I really hope that they'll lean into. There was many very talented painters in the Kansas City area who would have been great for the ABC show. But what I figured out was we were selected not based on the fact that we were the best painters in Kansas City, but we had the biggest audience. And I was the one that was the best at marketing. Does that make sense? And so I was, as soon as we got chosen for Extreme Home Makeover, I was like, okay, wait a minute. We don't have to be the best to be on TV. We just have to be the best at marketing and we can get on TV. I hope that that makes sense. That makes sense. But that also leads to you had to pitch. Well, yeah, we had to like take samples before them and talk about what we would do. And part of it was being in the right place at the right time on the first house, because I did work with the builder that was selected in Kansas City to actually build the Extreme Home Makeover house. But time and time again, and that was just one example with using Extreme Home Makeover, I have found that people would ask my business to come on local television. They would want to interview me for a radio show. Again, not because I was the most talented decorative painter in Kansas City, but because I was the best at marketing. And so I had a decent sized following and a decent sized audience because the truth is you can be so talented at painting, making, crocheting, knitting, baking, whatever. But if you don't have a platform on which you're telling people, 
that you have the talent in this area and you can't get good on that part of it, then you're still a lot of times doing a hobby and it's not a legit bill paying business. Right. And it's certainly not going to be a business that's ready to grow. Exactly. And so it's still in the hobby stage. And so what I found is that a lot of creatives are very uncomfortable with the term marketing. And that feels kind of like, you know, nailing jello to a tree. What is that exactly? Like define marketing. What does it mean? It sounds big. It sounds like I need a degree. And I break it down just very simply into two things. Marketing is basically one, believing that what you make or have to offer the world is good. And two, being willing to tell people that what you have that you make or offer the world is good. It's just, it really boils down to that. That is marketing in a nutshell. Do you think you're good at what you do? And can you tell people you're good at what you do? Excellent. This, my friends, is marketing. And so I was pretty good at just giving people pictures on Facebook of what we were doing, talking about it on Instagram, starting a website where I had pictures and I didn't get stuck in the weeds, Sue, of thinking, oh gosh, my website's not perfect yet. Or gosh, what if somebody doesn't love what I'm putting on Facebook today? I never got stuck there. And because of that, my platform really grew in terms of my social media following very, very quickly. Did it grow because you were just putting the volume of content or was it the pictures that you were putting on or were you teaching? What do you equate the growth to? Because I want to just bring up a challenge that I hear from my community a lot. And that is I'm spending so much time there and I'm not seeing anything happening. So people will feel like they're putting things up, but it's not working. Right. So when I really figured out how social media works, it was about five years ago, I was really in this place where I was frustrated with my creative career. And the frustration is very basic, really. I just felt like I am working way too stinking hard, Sue, to not be making any more money than I am. And I feel like this is where a lot of creatives sometimes end up and they will be like, gosh, I am hustling my butt off here. It feels like I'm working really hard. I should actually have more in the checking account than I do. So I felt that tension, that internal tension between I'm working really hard here and I'm not making what I think that I should be. And so I started trying to figure out in my head, like, okay, well, what could we do if I wanted to make more money? And our family wanted to vacation more. We wanted to buy a bigger house. So in trying to explore those ideas, I was thinking, well, I guess I could start a second crew of women who paint for me and we could be doing a second house project every week. And then that just gave me like, I just wanted to break out in the hives at that thought because I thought, good grief, I'm already managing eight women painting. Like the idea of doing double that just seemed like double the stress, double the work. And so instead I thought, well, what if I instead really tried to do something online? And I had this Facebook following of probably, I would say five years ago, I was at about 50,000 followers on Facebook. And I got to 50,000 followers by posting not only my painting, but lots of things that were about my family and things that were about my faith and things that were my opinions on different things. And I found that I was at first nervous to do that because I was like, gosh, all these people are following me because they want to know my favorite gray paint colors. And now I'm talking about the fact that, you know, I'm talking about something that has to do with my kids. And instead of that turning people off, it really just continued to attract people at an incredible volume, which was shocking to me. And the more that I did less business on social media, the bigger my business became. And so five years ago, I thought, okay, so in Kansas City right now, I'm going into people's homes, we're painting their cabinets, we're painting their furniture, we're doing their garage doors, whatever. What if instead of doing that, what if I tried to start teaching people by way of like painting videos or instructional videos or webinars, I could teach them how to paint their own kitchen cabinets because it became really like obvious to me all of a sudden, gosh, I have 
people in Ohio who are asking me how I just painted this client's kitchen in Kansas City. And I'm sitting down and I'm writing out this entire tutorial for them. And I'm like, why am I doing this instead? Why don't I make a video and they could actually buy the video and then they'll just get a list of all my instructions and a list of all my products. And let's see what happens with that. And so when I started doing that about five years ago, we quickly went to six figures. It was just in a little over a year of selling painting videos. So it was the craziest thing. And I was like, wow, that's really wild. And so then I was like, okay, so if I did six figures in a little over a year selling painting videos with an audience size of 50,000 or whatever it was then, I wonder what would happen if I doubled or tripled my audience size. Could I double or triple my revenue? And so I started really focusing hard on building my social media, building my Facebook following, my Instagram, and my Pinterest in particular, and also building up the number of people that were on my email list. And that's when things really compounded at a very quick speed for me. And people then were coming to me saying, okay, how are you getting so many new followers every day on Facebook? What are you doing? And it was a combination of two things. It was a combination of being exceptionally present every day on social media. So I wasn't skipping a day. I wasn't skipping a week. I was there every single day posting daily on Facebook, never missing one single day in five years. So it was that. So posting, but also engaging or just posting? No, posting. I mean, and engaging to me means coming back and when people comment on there'd be just a handful Mm -hmm. of people that I comment back to. I mean, today with 355,000 followers, there's no way I could ever remotely consider responding to every comment. And nobody listening to me right now should feel like they need to do that on their social media. But engaging by way of like, yes, responding to their comments, but also asking for their opinion on things and asking what they think about things and asking what projects they're doing and really rallying like this troop of creative entrepreneurs and kind of standing up for them, for lack of a better word. Like the other day, for instance, Sue, I did a post on how sometimes I feel like on social media right now, I feel as though it's easy for people to be kind of keyboard warriors and just with rude commenting and things. And yes, it's disheartening when I see it on my own posts, but it really makes me upset when I see it on other creative entrepreneurs posts. So my friend Susie Q over here, she posts a picture of a painted piece of furniture. And then there's a couple people that are saying nasty things and I didn't love it. And so when I started posting things like that, Sue, which is... Is it for engagement? Not really. It was more of like me standing up for an entire community. Mm -hmm. And those sorts of things would be getting shared by all these creatives who are also following my business account. And then that's helping me to get more followers also. So it was being really consistent on social media. It was putting out stuff that was really good and that people were resonating with. And then I was also doing Facebook ads for a very long time, like ads, just to get my Facebook page in front of more people and give them an opportunity to determine whether or not they wanted to follow along. Does that make sense? It makes total sense. I had wanted to stop you there just because I know that would be a question from the audience. Yeah, excellent. Okay. So question for you real quick on your painting videos. You were charging for those. Were you doing some that were online just showing a little technique or was it all paid? It was pretty much all paid. I mean, I would paint candlesticks on a Facebook. Well, Facebook Live wasn't a thing five years ago. So it'd be like a recorded video and then I would upload it. So Mm -hmm. I would do some things like that. Yes, where I would give them little, here's how you can paint a picture frame. Here's how you can spray paint something cute to repurpose it in your house. But if they wanted to know how to do a bigger project that was way more in depth, that was something they've seen on my Pinterest account, then they would need to buy a tutorial. I love that you are a real live example of this at work because so many people like as we were talking about in you when you started having to hire other people to paint for you. If you don't do that, you're limiting yourself entirely in terms of the income. If you are the one who's making the product, selling the product, fulfilling the orders, all of that. 
some people, let's face it, don't want a staff. They don't want to hire people. They don't. And they really get stuck there. And I feel for them, Sue, because here's the truth. Like, remember how earlier you were asking me, and I loved that question, like, you said, how did you make sure the quality was there? And I was like, well, I wasn't ever super worried about that because it wasn't like I was handing them a sample board with five layers and saying, figure it out. I would go in and, you know, start them on the first layer and start them on the second. And as kind of creative people, we could tweak things at the end if it didn't look exactly like the sample so that it ended up being really close. But stuff like that is really subjective. Now, let's say somebody listening right now is an earring maker. Okay. So there shouldn't be a lot of subjectiveness there. If somebody orders cute leopard print tassel earrings, they should probably get what's on your website. What I see so many people doing, Sue, is they're like, well, they want to be the ones that both makes the earrings and posts it on Facebook and puts it in the cute little tissue paper with the little sticker and they slip it in the envelope and they want to be the ones to like address the envelope and take it to the post office. And I'm like, sweetie, listen, (laughs) that doesn't all need to be you. I mean, come on, your 13 year old can package some of those earrings for you. And so this is how creatives really get caught up and stuck and they stay small in their business because they want to do every single part from A to Z. And you can't if you want your business to grow. You literally cannot. You're so right. And I'll tell you my theory on this. You tell me what you think. Yeah. I think people do that because they're staying busy and then they're not doing the things that really move a needle because those other things are uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Like Facebook Live or whatever else. Yep. It always boils down to fear. We're going to go a little bit deeper with this topic of fear right after a quick word from our sponsor. This podcast is made possible thanks to the support of the Ribbon Print Company. Create custom ribbons right in your store or craft studio in seconds. Visit theribbonprintcompany.com for more information. And what oftentimes I think too is that people don't realize, but when I usually say it out loud, people are like, oh, you're so right. Fear shows up in many ways because so many women are afraid that their business is going to be a failure, but then there's also this huge portion of women who are scared that their business is actually going to be successful. And so if I give up the earrings to the post office and putting them in the envelope, and I actually sit down and do some Facebook lives and actually like send out some emails. And if I do those things and we start getting some, some momentum and I start seeing some success and some growth here, am I going to be able to keep up? Number one, am, what are people going to think of me? Number two, what is my sister-in-law going to think when my business start growing? What's my mother-in-law going to say? Are my kids going to be okay with it? Like there's reasons behind why women sometimes will unintentionally keep their business kind of stifled. And thinking that they have to do every part from A to Z is exactly one of those reasons. And you're so right. If they keep themselves busy doing the busy work, then they don't have to do the big work. And I love that you just said unintentionally, because Mm -hmm. now I'll say to everybody who's listening, reflect on that a little bit and see if that's you. You may not even recognize that that's something that you're doing. And I've got to say, I've had some of that myself. When it gets bigger and bigger, how do you do it? You continue to add staff, then you have support, like you're responsible for someone else's livelihood. All of that, it's all in that little fear package, (laughs) right? Yep, I agree 100%. That's one thing. But I also wanted to reemphasize what you did, which I think is brilliant, which is finding another way to monetize what you're already known for, which is then selling those videos. So really smart. How much were they? They were $47 when I first came out. And then I ended up putting them down to $27. 
Then I also ended up putting them in a package of you'd buy three and get two free. Like we redid it several ways, Sue, to kind of keep it fresh and new. And then I was doing webinars, which is very uncommon, by the way, in the creative space. But people responded so well to it. And I was doing webinars like how to make money off of your furniture painting business. I did that webinar and we had over 400 people sign up at $47 a person for that webinar. So it was a really good webinar. It was about four years ago. Then I did one on how to be profitable at your cabinet making business or your cabinet painting business. Then I did like how to use Pinterest to get you more clients, both locally and the online space. So I was doing a lot of webinars and people just kept coming to me and saying, okay, so they kept leading me to my next thing, essentially. And right now, even though I closed my painting business down almost two years ago, Sue, I still have something online. It's called the Paint Finish of the Month Group. It is a membership group. So it's a monthly fee of $47. And you can join my group. I used to be the one that would teach you two new paint finishes every month in that group. And we've had that group about three and a half years. And so it was people that were DIYers, or perhaps they were painters also, and just wanted to kind of freshen up their portfolio. Well, I got to this place where I was like, I don't want to be the one doing all the painting anymore. I've really made this switch both internally and externally into the coaching and teaching space. And so now what do I do? Well, so I kind of went through my resources in terms of what do I know? Who do I know? How could we reposition this? And the truth is, I know so many talented painters who are so much more talented than I am. And I have a large audience. So I've gone for the last year and a half now, I have not taught any of the finishes in my Paint Finish the Month group. I call in what I lovingly refer to as celebrity painters twice a month. I pick two people twice a month that either I just, I find off Instagram or I find them off Pinterest and I ask them to come in and teach the people that are in my Paint Finish the Month group a new paint finish every month. In exchange for that, I try to give them a shout out on my social media because I have half a million social media followers. And so it works out really, really well. So I have almost 400 people in that group at $47 a month. I work on it for 20 minutes maximum a month. And other people teach the group. Other people manage the group for me. And so many people get such great value out of it. What once started as like one-off videos, then went to like, they could do a one-off video with a coupon. And then we did a package of videos. And now we're like, well, we don't sell videos anymore. You just have access to all of them within that paint finish of the month group. So we've tried to just like keep kind of switching it up and offering something new and really innovating in the creative space, which I feel like is so important for creative people to be doing something new and fresh all the time. What you are describing is a win on three levels. It's a win for you because you were ready to focus more on coaching. Yes, exactly. It was a win for your audience because had you shut it down, here you'd been giving them something for so long and all of a sudden you're gone. So that would be terrible. And then it's also a win for your guests who come on because they, I'm sure, are quite honored when you reach out and invite them on and then they get all the visibility. Yeah, I would like to think so. And so that's how we've tried to structure it. So it's just really a win-win for everybody. And I also think too, like sometimes people have never, there's a lot of creative people and probably I'm guessing a lot in your audience who've never considered making a tutorial. They've never considered doing a blog post, showing people how to do exactly that sort of cake decorating. They've never considered it before because in a way they're almost concerned that they're going to be teaching people that will become essentially their own competition. That's exactly what it is. And that is such a poverty mindset. And just for me, like when I'm coaching women, that is completely the opposite of what I'm teaching them because this is what I will say. 
There will always be people, Sue, who will decorate their own cakes. They're never going to hire you to decorate their cake. They want to make their own. They're going to go to Pinterest and find something. And so they're never going to be your client. But there's also these people that are local in your community who will buy a cake from you. But then there's people all across the country that you're missing out on the ability to teach them how to do that cake because they're never going to be able to drive to your home and pick up a cake and drive three states back for their kiddo's birthday. They love what you do. They think that they could perhaps make their own cake. So they would love just to know how you did that thing. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So I keep talking to my creative people and I'm like, come on guys, if people are, this is how you know, by the way, Sue, that your audience would love for you to teach them. And so many creative people are like, well, I'm not a teacher, honey. That's why I used to think too. I used to think too. I'm not a teacher. I don't know what I'm doing. I barely know how to make these painting finishes successful myself. But the truth is you don't have to know all the things about your industry. You just have to know a little bit more than the people asking you. So if you have people messaging you right now on Instagram, they're showing up in your DMs or they're sliding into your Facebook DMs or they're sending you an email or when you put something in your email, they're responding back and they're asking you, gosh, how did you do that? How did you make that cute headband for kids? How did you make that soap? I'd love to know how you X, Y, Z. What a lot of times will happen is creative people, because we're such genuinely givers, we're giving the world our creative talents, will often spend a lot of time being like, hey, I'm so glad that you messaged me. And here's how I made that soap. Or here's how I put together that cute headband. And if that's happening, I'm telling you what, you could monetize that in a hot New York minute. And not only could you, but you should, because originally I think it started out kind of is like flattering, like, oh my gosh, people are wanting to know how I did that. That's awesome. But then you'll come to a point where you're like, oh my goodness, I'm so tired of people wanting to pick my brain. And if people are asking you to pick your brain or they're asking you for specific instructions or directions or ingredients or whatever, make some sort of a tutorial, make an ebook, make a video, make a webinar, do a Facebook group, a membership group, but you could be making money off of the knowledge that you have in your head and the years of experience that you have. Yes. Amen. I totally agree with you. And I think there's another extension to that too, which is some people think that they can do it and it's so easy. If it's your business, you're assembling all of the pieces that you need. You probably have materials to make a product and it's all accessible because that's what you do all the time. Think about starting a new craft for yourself. You have to get all the materials or learn the techniques. Not as easy for them as it is for you. Right. And I think a lot of people who will try it will see, number one, that they've got to gather everything. So they've got to like put everything together first, but then also see that there's a talent to what you make too. So there's two different types of audiences, what you're describing. Totally. And then some people who are going to say, I have tried this. This is way harder than I thought it would ever be. And then, well, guess what? Then you can have this beautiful jewelry. Here's my website. (laughs) Right. Then order it. So they get convinced that they're not going to make it themselves. They're going to buy from you. Exactly. So it's giving in two different ways, giving to people like you're saying so wonderfully that will do it themselves and you don't want to hold back their ability to have pride in their own work. Exactly. But then also people who are going to see a whole different avenue and you're going to get the revenue then too. And, you know, I know at one point, Sue, I was thinking to myself early on, and I already know that some of your podcast listeners are going to be thinking the same thing. Well, why would somebody pay me if we just go back to the cake decorating? Why would they pay me for a tutorial on how to do this when they can go find that for free on YouTube? And that's what I thought too about my painting videos. I thought I'm charging for this. And literally somebody else could go search around YouTube and probably figure it out. But the truth is people will pay for convenience. 
this is why I will pay a little bit more to buy something on Amazon Prime than if I have to drive to my local Target and pick it up. Does that make sense? Like people will pay for convenience. So if they were to pay you for instructions, you've got everything in a nice little tidy PDF for them. There's the list of all the products. Oh, by the way, they need this cute mixer that you bought online somewhere and you could give them an affiliate link for that. That way you're getting paid for your recommendations. And they will literally, they would rather pay for information that is organized, that they don't have to hunt and peck for, that gives them a list of supplies, that gives them exactly what they need. And then also they know, Sue, that they could perhaps message you or DM you if they have any questions. They will pay for that versus sitting down and spending hours hunting and pecking across the internet for free content and trying to string it together into a successful project. Yes. And I think knowing that the quality of the content is good. Exactly. And I think you, because of what you've done with your brand, you have a following, you've proven yourself with all the visibility you've had on TV and YouTube and all of that. I would suggest that your videos can command a higher price because you are elevated in the industry. So your videos of doing whatever the technique is, I think is perceived at a higher level of quality than maybe someone who's an unknown which goes back to all the work that you've put in for being present on sites and all of that. Brilliant, Jennifer. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you, Sue. Was this part of your master plan all along? It wasn't. Nope, (laughs) it wasn't. But I'm telling you what, just literally, I kept just doing the next thing that was put in front of me. And with the thought of sticking to the things that I feel like I'm really naturally good at, and staying true to where I think God's positioning me right now in terms of like cheerleading for other creatives. And it was never a master plan. I promise you it wasn't. But I've been super willing to be flexible and to kind of shift gears and lean into what my audience is asking me for now and not getting stuck doing it one way. Mm -hmm. So Toys R Us just closed down how many hundreds and hundreds of stores. And I'm going to tell you why Toys R Us had to close because Amazon Prime and their ability to get people toys much quicker for a less amount of money. Just Toys R Us refused to compete with that. And look at like Bed Bath & Beyond too, the same thing. Like they haven't really changed the way they've been doing business in the last five years. And five years ago, you couldn't find any Bed Bath & Beyond things on Amazon. And now you can find all of them and Bed Bath & Beyond is having to close a bunch of stores. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's super important for creative people to understand that they're shifting in the way people want to consume content and get product. And so you're going to have to be able to ship quicker. You're going to have to be able to get stuff out the door faster, which means you can't be the only one up late at night making earrings in the dining room. There needs to be people that you have on your team working with you. The orders come in and getting it out the door faster. I think creatives need to really understand that we are in a world where people would prefer to sit at home in their jammies and learn and order things from the convenience of their homes. College applications and the number of people going to college is down substantially because so many people can learn what they need now on the online space. And so even though it may not be something you've ever considered for a creative to put together like a webinar or a course that somebody could take, we did a course once, Sue, it was four different ways to paint furniture in four weeks. We called it BYOB, which now I think, gosh, that was so lame, but it was bring your own brush. And I taught people how to paint a piece of furniture that was like, had previously been painted, one that was laminate, one that was stained, and one that was raw wood. And so we demonstrated this over a four-week period. I just put everybody into a Facebook group with me. It was $77 for people to take that course with me. And it was a painting course. They were not at my home. We were not in a studio. 
I was just on camera painting furniture in my garage and they paid me $77 a person to do that four week course. I love that. Because people love to sit at home and learn and people would be fascinated. I think, here's what I think, Sue. I think a lot of things, by the way. (laughs) But I think most of us creative people, we kind of foo-foo off our talents and we think, well, decorating cookies isn't that big of a deal. It's not that special of a talent. I'm not an astronaut or I'm not a doctor. I'm just a creative person. But the truth is half the world can't do the creative thing that most of the people who are listening right now can actually do. So we foo-foo off our talents and think, well, anybody can figure it out. When there are a whole group of people who are thinking to themselves, gosh, I wish I could figure out how to decorate cookies and then I wouldn't kind of be fun for me. Maybe it'd be something that would be a good thing to do with the kiddos or whatever. And so there's a whole group of people out there that would love to know your secret to how you do things in your business if you'll just be willing to share that with them. And I never suggest for free because no other people on the planet work for free and creative people shouldn't either. So put a price tag on it, put it on the internet, see what happens. There you go. Love it. Okay, so we have some listeners here, I'm quite sure, who are right at the starting line. They're thinking about going. They know what their craft is. They might have several, but they've narrowed in on which one they want to try and build a business around. But they're not putting their foot over the line to start the race. What do you say to that woman? Well, first of all, if there are several things that somebody's good at, I always suggest that you have to start with just one because so many creative people are very gifted and very blessed in many different areas. So I can organize my pantry and I can paint a piece of furniture and I can make earrings from scratch and I can stage a home for resale. Okay, well, that's all fine and dandy. But when you're kind of known for everything, then you're known for nothing. So in the beginning, you always need to pick one thing that you're going to double down on. And I always suggest that it's the thing that like you would do even if nobody paid you that you know so well or you're so passionate about that you could probably do it in your sleep. So pick that thing. Pick that thing to start with. It's kind of the lowest hanging fruit. And then you could always shift later on. What happens with a lot of creative people is they're like, no, I don't want to pick one thing because then I feel like I'm stuck with that. And it's kind of like that whole nobody puts baby in a corner mentality. You know, I'm like, I don't want to pick one thing. I want to be able to do the cookie decorating and the jewelry making and the home staging and the organizing. Well, it's very, very difficult to get really well known for one thing when you're doing all the things. So pick one at least to begin with. And then after you've gotten some momentum with that, you can branch out into other things. But initially, you have to double down on one thing. I agree with you totally. So one thing and then just move forward back to your candle with the fear. Exactly. And you've got to be treating it like a legit business. So that means you have to have a business Facebook page. You can't be just running your business on your personal Facebook profile and calling that a business. That's not a business. Also, it's absolutely against Facebook's terms of service for you to be doing business things on your personal profile. Regardless of how many of your friends are selling their leggings or their makeup or whatever there, that is literally against Facebook's terms of service. Yeah, you don't want to lose your profile because of it. You don't want to lose your profile. So you need to have a Facebook business page. And we actually have, Sue, if it would be okay, I would love to give your audience like a resource for this because I have something called a starter pack that's for somebody who wants to figure out, well, how do I name my business? How do I register my business? How do I get it up onto social media? And how do I start kind of thinking like a business owner? So if it's okay, I can give your audience a link to that if that's all right with you. Sure. Fantastic. It's at jenniferallwood.com slash starter pack. And because this is the part where I found most people get stuck, like the ball never gets rolling 
because of these things right here, they just never get it started. Right. And I liken it to the fact that, and maybe your audience isn't at this point, but there's so many people that I find will come into my coaching group and they won't even have named their business yet. And I'm like, what? What do you mean you haven't named your business? Well, I just can't decide on something. No, you don't want to commit to anything. And that's very, very different because it's like when you're pregnant and I have about a hundred kids, I joke four only, but it feels like a hundred at times. And so when you're pregnant, you're definitely pregnant. You definitely know there's a baby there. But once you name the baby, even if the baby's still in utero, then it just feels so much more real to like refer to the baby with a name. Like the name feels like it now everything is really happening. So a lot of times business owners won't even get to the part of naming their business, Sue, because once they name it, then they know they probably need to start doing business. Does that make sense? Yes. <laughs> like, I'm so fascinated by how many people get tripped up on naming your business. Listen, very few things on this side of heaven are permanent. Your business name is not one of them. So pick a name, pick the one that you hate the least. My magic brush business name, I hated that, but it was the one I hated the least. And I had it for 16 years. It is what it is but you're wasting another six months, you're wasting another year, you're wasting another two years on just trying to come up with the name. And the truth is you just got to pick something and go. Well, it's an excuse to stall is what it is. It is absolutely 100%. All right. At this point, Jennifer, you have given us so much valuable information. So now I'd like to give back to you. Oh, awesome. I'd like to present you with a virtual gift. So this is a magical box containing unlimited possibilities for your future. This could be your dream or your goal of unreachable heights that you would wish to obtain. So please accept this gift and open it in our presence. What's inside your box? Ooh, well, that seems big. It's supposed to be big. You got to make it big. Yeah, <laughs> it is big. So, well, right now, I mean, just from a practical level, we're in the middle of conversations with several different book publishing houses. So a book will be in my future, which I'm super excited about. And so what's in my box? Gosh, Sue, that's a big question. Because I know in my head, I'm thinking Sue probably wants a business answer. Nope, it can be personal. It's okay. Okay, good. Because my answer really isn't, it isn't businessy. I have always said from the very beginning of my business that I knew that my business had little to do with painting and a lot more with doing with encouraging women, giving them confidence that they could work for me, they could go off and start their own business, giving confidence to women in painting their business. So I really, my heart is so towards the woman who is just wrapped up in fear, whether that's starting a business or or doing something in our home or whatever. However, and that's what I will be doing even if nobody pays me for the rest of my life. But even though that's what my business is about, I have always said if I make it as a business owner, but if I end up screwing up my kids and my marriage, like it will never have been worth it for me. And so I think what I would want to be in the box is my husband and my four kids watching mom do things that are big, hard and scary, even though mom's an introvert even though mom's not often comfortable with this sort of an audience, seeing mom speak up on stage, even though she's sucking her thumb in a corner ahead of time because she's so nervous about it. I hope that what's in the box is that I will have served my family really well by setting a good example for them and showing them boundaries and that they will always feel like they came first over my business, even though I ran a successful business where I encouraged other women. That's why I think what I would want to be in the box. Love it. It's a perfect representation of what it should be, I think. Family first, for sure. Business is an overlay. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you so much. And you've already talked with us about your starter pack. Again, Give Biz listeners, that's going to be at jenniferallwood.com forward slash starter pack. Where would be another place that you would send people online? 
They can find me on Facebook. I have my own podcast. Just everything that you search for, just search for Jennifer Allwood. So you can go to jenniferallwood.com. You can see there where I have links to my podcast, links to my coaching group, links to my Facebook page. So if they just go to jenniferallwood.com or just go to the podcast app and search for the Jennifer Allwood show, they can find me across all social medias just with my name. Perfect. Nice and simple and easy to remember. <laughs> so, <Yes. laughs> thank you for that. And once again, thank you for all of your valuable information. I know that this has really resonated with a large number of our listeners today. So I really appreciate you being on the show. So thank you so much. I love what you're doing. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you. Are you discouraged because your business is not performing as you had envisioned? Are you stuck and confused about how to turn things around? Sue's new best-selling book is structured to help you identify where the holes are in your business and show you exactly how to fix them. You'll learn from Sue and owners just like you who are seeing real growth and are living their dream. Maker to master. Find and fix what's not working in your small business. Get it on Amazon or through www.giftbizunwrapped.com master. Wow. Jennifer gave us some great information in terms of how to connect with our audiences through social media. Up next week, we're going to talk about connecting with your audiences further. And this is through a topic that in Gift Biz Breeze, we've been talking a lot about lately, and that is website development. We get into the value of your website, what platform you should be considering, what content should go on there, imagery, branding, navigation. Oh my gosh, I think we touch base on almost everything. You just have to wait for one short week and I think we're going to answer all your website development questions. If you're enjoying this show, it would be so helpful if you went over to iTunes and left a rating and review. That helps us get the show up higher in the rankings so more and more people can be exposed to the information and the learning that we share here. It's a great way to pay it forward. Thank you once again for joining in on the show, and I'll see you next week on the Gift Biz Unwrapped podcast. Bye for now.